0: Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is. It's time for crime.
1: In this episode, we will discuss the continuation of Robert William Fisher's case. We hope to answer the following questions. What's your favorite conspiracy theory? If you were on the run, where would you hide? Do you believe that people may have a look-alike? So
2: listen in and find out more, but for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, welcome back. This is your host, Vanny.
1: And this is Kat. Hey, this Cat, How was your week? Uh, it was okay. It was another another short one.
2: Yeah, it was all good. Nothing, nothing exciting. We don't have exciting lives, guys. We just want to let our listeners know we don't have that much of exciting. So this is the most we get to tell people and share people our life stories.
1: <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> the only thing that I did exciting, and this may not be exciting for most of our listeners, is I did a list of mommy needs for when the baby comes but oh, outside of that peter just yeah. looked at numbers he just said "Ooh, this is expensive oh this is expensive i said
1: yeah you know, people have more than one kid can you imagine the cost crazy it is because there's a nice expensive ritual from your side of the family and i don't know what expensive rituals await him on his side of the family yeah it's gonna be very interesting. Yeah, always expensive. I know. We talk about crime, we talk about all this stuff and it's like our life is like, uh, we cut the grass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, it's better that we do that and that something else, but although upcoming we are going to go out camping, so we good. will have that. But that's good that at least you get some fresh air. Yes. We all need some fresh air. Although when I drive through like forests and stuff, I have this like weird phobia because I watch so much serial killer stuff of, like, something happened to me out in the (laughs) camp, I don't know, campgrounds. I have a weird phobia. I don't know. And that's the first thing that pops in my head when I look at trails and people that hike. I'm like, that's where people get killed, you know? Strangled and stuff. (laughs) I don't know. I would not do that. That's at least my uh, non-motivational reason to work out outside. (laughs) (laughs) But... Anyways, I think we should uh, go ahead and jump on in, and I'm really excited about the continuation of this case, but before we get going, let's go with our last week's question of the week, and the question
1: was, are most serial killers legally insane? And surprisingly, the answer is no. Although many serial killers may be mentally ill, most do not meet the legal definition for insanity. In fact, that defense is rarely uh, even invoked uh, in serial killer proceedings. For example, a psychiatric report said that David Berkowitz, the son of Sam killer, was paranoid and delusional, but he was determined to be competent to stand trial. He didn't stand trial because he pled guilty because he went against his uh, recommendation of his attorney who wanted him to plead insanity. But sometimes with these people, they will plead guilty because they would rather do that than have anybody think that they're insane. Is that insane? Well, (laughs) it's
2: insane. And it's also this (laughs) pride, right, that they have. They'd rather be known as this evil person and go down that way than... And be infamous. Yes, than to have be known as, oh, that guy was just crazy and that's why he did those things
1: locked up and forgotten
2: i will say that i don't know what's kinder an asylum or prison
1: a lot of people think oh yeah go to the crazy house i'm not sure that that's the better deal i mean isn't
2: that what Lori vallis is trying to fight that she was insane or
1: oh yeah she's all suddenly incompetent i'm kind of hoping arizona will just like step up and whisk her away and not find her incompetent but yeah i think that's what she's trying to fight that she's but for people that think she's getting away with anything she's still locked up
2: yeah it's true
1: okay she has slightly nicer furniture and maybe she has her own room but she's still locked up and they're forcing her to take medication mm-hmm. so i don't know we'll see crazy I'm really, t- I'm really torn between, you know, some of the stuff she did that you just on the surface want to go, oh, man, you'd have to be crazy to do that. Or she is just such a manipulative bee. Oh my God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I really think that she's a manipulative piece of work, to be honest.
2: I mean, the more we
1: talk about her, the more it's
2: giving us a reason to talk about this case. So
1: yeah, We're, I know. We, I know. May-
2: <laughs> we may have to go into that
1: sooner than we thought. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe we should start with some of the periphery stuff. The the early husbands, the attempted murders. Mm-hmm. Well, if, Kat, you can give us a little
2: recap of what case we're talking about. If, I mean, we know it's Robert William Fisher, but just a little recap of what
1: happened, and we'll kind of go into our part two. Yeah, just, just uh, catch everybody up and get back on the same page. It was uh, shortly before 9am on Tuesday, April 10th, 2001, an explosion tore through a South Scottsdale home. In the ruins of the house, police found a family. A mother, her two kids had been killed prior to the explosion. The father was named a suspect in a triple homicide.
2: Yeah. So last we left our listeners with little breadcrumbs of conspiracy. So let's talk a little bit first about you know the FBI being involved and why they kind of got involved in and in making him the four hundred and seventy fifth fugitive and placed as the top ten most wanted list,
1: yeah, because local law enforcement had made him a person of interest, and by now they have figured out that he's just vanished, and so because he fled and eluded, the FBI got called in because they're like, oh, now you're fleeing to avoid." interrogation and questioning right so they send in the big dogs i don't know if you have you ever driven
2: by the fbi office here in phoenix i have so we drove by it like you know a couple of weekends ago uh i was showing peter what was at and he found the most interesting part of the whole building was why is there so many offices he's like they don't carry they don't normally take people in there but more importantly he said the front of the sign how it has that fingerprint on there where it says the fbi office Mm -hmm. he's like why would they put a fingerprint there? I'm like, I don't know. Do you want me to go inside and ask them? (laughs) And he just laughed at me. (laughs) FBI ego. I don't know. I mean, we've gone to the one in DC, right? The big famous one. It's just different to see the different buildings. But uh, yeah, he just thought that was interesting. He's like, they're like in a cage (laughs) and just a bunch of offices. I'm like, yeah, it's
1: the FBI. So where we left off was they had found the dog and the forerunner up in Tonto National Forest near Payson. And so they had the theories that, you know, he killed himself in the cave, he died of lack of oxygen in the cave, and yet it's 20 years later, and they still have not found so much as a knuckle bone in there at all. But it it is interesting because the caves are connected, so somebody could have gotten in there with, some fortitude and maneuvered themselves through and, you know, popped out on the other side. But what I found was interesting was when I was doing the research, it was like, there's like at least a dozen or so caves that are interconnected. They only searched one where they really went in and searched it. You know, I don't know if it's because it started to go down and the terrain got weird and they're like, yeah, this is not our, (laughs) not our thing because they did have the cave people in there roaming around and i think if he had still been there he would have scooted out but i think the time between his getting the money out and then finding the toyota gave him at least like six days to totally move through that area and and get out of here there the other thing that was interesting to me was that we have the fort mcdowell indian reservation only a mile away Mm -hmm. parts of it or i'm sorry. Nah, not Fort McDowell. That's the farther south. Uh, Fort it's Apache. the Fort Apache, and the res is like a mile away, and they never searched mm. it. So is that a jurisdictional thing? Although the FBI had all the authority to go in there, but they never really asked permission. Hey, we got this fugitive guy. You know, anybody seen a non Native American running around?
2: Okay, weird theory I'm going to come up with right now because you mentioned the um, the reservation was. Okay, so I have a couple of questions about when they found the car, right? Like, did he ever put gas? Mm-hmm. If he didn't put gas, did he just run out of gas and then he like left the bed, the car, and and the and the dog because he only had two hundred and eighty dollars? And if he did put gas, shouldn't there be surveillance from one of the gas stations headed that way?
1: You would think so.
2: And then B, what if he went into the casino and he won money at the casino? <laughs>
1: Oh, there's always that possibility. It's never my possibility, but some people win at casinos. The other thing was uh, the dog. Mm -hmm. He thought enough of the dog to take the dog from the house to be harmed, but then he left the dog. So was that because it was too hard to travel with the dog? The dog would kind of give him
2: away? Like, why did he not kill the dog either? Usually some of these cases you see them, they kill the family, they're going to kill the family pet as well.
1: Yeah. I'm hoping for blue's sake, because he he didn't harm him, that he was like a hunting dog and kind of a buddy pal kind of thing. But the other thing that's weird is like he could have gone anywhere. So here the vehicle's left in Payson. But the police interviewed a couple of his hunting buddies and people that had known him because, you know, people that hunt, they run into each other and, hey, uh, you know, they know each other casually. But they said that he was up there a couple of weekends, the weeks before the explosion. Hmm. And there's a lot of the hunters were hypothesizing that he was scouting the area and just getting a kind of a lay of the land. To figure an escape route. Kind of a thing. Right, but then he did all sorts of bizarre behavior, you know, well into leading up to this incident. I mean there was one incident that people were out in the in the national forest with their children, having a picnic, minding their own business, and he ran up behind him and just emptied his gun in the air behind him and about scared the bejesus out of him. And just laughed and then ran away. Hmm. I okay, I'm I'm missing the fun in that, but okay, scared the crap out of these poor people. Then uh, another time he was hunting and he had an elk permit, he killed an elk and they were talking about how he had killed the elk and then he started taking the blood and he's wiping it all on his face and he's pounding his chest. He's like, I'm superior. And I, okay, I've known a lot of people that go hunting. I've known a lot of people who have gotten an animal. I personally have never ever heard of even a story from camp from the campfire of anybody ever saying how they killed an animal and then they smeared the blood of the animal all over their face and ran around and you know made Tarzan noises and gestures. I That's a little weird. He was I mean he was a little off definitely There was an intenseness about him. He got a little, he was a little intense. I think
2: that one of the things that's crazy is that the FBI had received like hundreds and hundreds of leads. However, supposed sightings that they had of him were always inconclusive or false.
1: Yeah, I guess he was profiled on John Walsh, America's Most Wanted. And man, that generated leads. Like crazy for them? All over the place. And they had to sift through all of them. So it was falling on Scottsdale police department and the FBI to get these tips. And it's like, it's 20 years later and they're still averaging three to five tips a week, 20 years later.
2: Well, you know, they've thought that he was maybe in Florida. He could have been in New Mexico if he would have stayed here in the States. If not, he probably went to Mexico or Canada. And speaking of Canada, which I don't know why, but we've seemed to have been talking a lot about Canada after I came back from Canada. (laughs) I know, weird how that works. I found it so crazy that they find this guy that looked physically resemblance to Robert Fisher, right? He was arrested in Vancouver, British Columbia, by the Royal Canadian Mount Police. He had the gold tooth. He had all the scars. He looked so much like Robert Fisher. Yet when they came back with the fingerprints, they confirmed that it was not Fisher.
1: Oh, my turn for conspiracy theory.
2: (laughs) And then it said approximately a week after... Um, a family member correctly identified him as this other person, but like, okay, so why, how is that? Like you can't replicate scars and like to look so similar and some guys from Canada and the U.S. to be so similar, right? So my theory was like he had to have done something to his fingerprints, right? Is that what you're speculating? Yeah.
1: Exactly. And that's what I was wondering. First, he's living off the land. He's using his hands. Were his fingerprints from the military, because our fingerprints do wear down a little bit after time, but was he out there with the knife? Was scarring him? Was he picking, you know, clawing at rocks? What was he doing? And could he have changed his fingerprints?
2: If he made the trail from the Tonto National Forest area, that could have been very possible if he was going through forest terrain, going up the States, going all the way up to Canada, For him to have had these, like, small little injuries that would have possibly altered his fingerprints. And this person that was a family member that identified him, he could have paid this person.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's weird because one of the biggest theories in Arizona was he was believed to have been in Kingman for years. People thought he was in the mountains surrounding king but not like living in the city but in those mountains like a mountain man that he was in those mountains for all those years and then he eventually was able to make his way to canada so now there's all this
2: speculation do you think he's alive is he dead there is a what um a award from the fbi was it a hundred thousand dollars yeah a hundred thousand dollars for information
1: leading to his capture so exactly so that canada thing was uh 2004, February of 2004. So then we move along to the year 2012, which was not that long ago. And the FBI alerted law enforcement. They thought that he was in uh, Colorado. So they're kind of watching this town and watching this house. And two years after the sighting in October of 2014, they pulled this big raid on a house. Pull four guys out and there's not a hint of Robert Fisher anywhere. They just got four guys doing whatever they were doing. I'm sure they were up to something. But yeah, so that was Colorado.
2: So for our little listeners that are maybe internet sleuths or citizen detectives, as I like to say, <laughs> you know, here's some crazy facts. That I like to share just some facts about uh, the case. So he didn't have any prior criminal history. He did have a bad back, and he'd possibly be on pain medication. He has some scars on his lower back from the surgery. And so because of his surgery, his posture may be a little off. He had a gold crown on his upper left first bicuspid tooth, and he does chew tobacco. He was an avid hunter and fisherman, so he could have survived with the wild, right? They do believe he's armed and dangerous, Uh and there has been over 300 unconfirmed sightings of him. He has blue eyes, brown hair, and he's about six feet tall.
1: Some of the theories is they believe he's living under an assumed identity. I mean, that makes perfect sense. They're thinking, well, they're still holding out that he killed himself, but not anything has been... found. ...been found to go with that. I mean, they haven't found ID. They have found nothing.
2: And... They think that possibly changed his appearance somewhat, right? So he could have grown some facial hair. He could have gone grayed by now. I mean, he's a lot older now.
1: Oh, yeah. They've got, They've if you uh, Google and look it up, they have all the aged and the enhanced photos. Yeah, by now they have him with not very much hair.
2: So there was a call that was made to the America's Most Wanted program back in 2001, and they believe that it was Robert Fisher, and that the call was made from Chester, Virginia. So then re-posted the case on America's Most Wanted. And then they re-aired the story on Unsolved Mysteries, hoping that this person would recall again.
1: And he hasn't. No. I think his sister knows a little bit more than what she's saying. Leading to say, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, her big thing was, I never thought he was capable of this. Most people don't, you know, you don't want to know that a family member or somebody you really know is out doing this kind of stuff. Mary's sister said that Robert had told uh, her and her dad that divorce was not an option, not going to happen. And I think we can agree with that one. Mm -hmm. And he kept denying that they were going to divorce oh we're going to counseling we're working through this yet Mary confided in a very close to a very close friend that she was planning to divorce him. She was taking the steps and that might have escalated you know that mm-hmm. last argument she might have been that's it, I'm done And he was like, yeah, I'll show you who's done Yeah he took matters in his own hands like what they say right Yeah and so they think that at least the uh, detective Kirkham, from Scottsdale Police Department, who is still working this case, believe it or not, he is talking and saying that, I mean, that fire was intense. Like they had a 20-foot wall of flame and that sucker was hot. It took them quite a while to put it out. And how those bodies were not damaged more than what they were is really kind of amazing. But he is also thinking that an accelerant was used. Hmm. To help, you know, he did the gas and he did the candle thing and then there was an accelerant to just really help give it something. Well, you know,
2: one of the things I think to or comes to my mind is if he did this one time, if he was able to commit this heinous crime, why hasn't he done it again or why wouldn't he do it again? I mean, they say there's like this statistic, right, that usually if they do one kind of crime, it leads them to do a second crime. It may not be as big, but they always lead to, to a second type of crime.
1: Yeah, and so how many crimes are out there? And if we don't know where he is... And how long can he even be on the run? Exactly, because his sister shares a lot of what you were talking about, that she claims she doesn't know where he is, but he didn't take a lot of money. He suffers from a bad back. He has a lot of physical pain and injury. But then I'm thinking, if your life is on the line... And you know you're you're running from the law and you're running from jail. You can get by a lot of pain. You're not thinking about that right now. You're doing what you got to do to survive, to survive. But I
2: honestly my theory is that he's not here in the US. There's no way he would have been here in the US and not be seen, especially with so much surveillance. I don't think he would have gone to Canada. There's so much surveillance. My theory is that he had to have gone to Mexico or somewhere south where people wouldn't question him.
1: Now I was Quite amazed at the Unsolved Mystery website. Oh, they've got some humdinger of theories people have posted on there. I was like, okay. So one guy posted is, yeah, he goes, I think he was my Uber driver. Oh, Uber came along well after this crime. (laughs) Yeah. And so another theory is uh, with that whole forerunner parked up in the woods like that, uh, that he had a ride. He had somebody waiting for him and somebody picked him up and whisked him out of there. I mean,
2: one of my my funny things I thought about was that if you just Google Robert Fisher, I mean, there's all kinds of names that are Robert Fisher, right? Oh, the chess player, Bobby Fisher. Yeah. the One of the sons of the Gap founder's name is Robert Fisher. I mean, there's a professor of like community organization at university of connecticut that his name is robert fisher so like could he have stolen somebody's identity like this like it's pretty possible everything's on the internet nowadays so he could have just taken the same name and ran with it and nobody would know
1: that's true but yeah but there's there's a lot of people that think that his sister knows more mm-hmm. than she's letting on she may or may not i don't know it's a good theory people are wondering why when he was in canada why didn't they take his dna
2: yeah why didn't they why they just rely on the fingerprints and my question was I, I couldn't find the name of the person Michael like, well, so what was this person's name
1: yeah i the only thing that i found in my research was that canada really wasn't sharing a lot with us on this mm-hmm. and i'm not sure why other than i know canada does not have the death penalty and if somebody does make it to Canada, it's very difficult to get them extradited back if Canada thinks we're going to do the death penalty. If we say, oh, they're just going to get life in that, then Canada will be like, well, okay, they'll turn them over. But they're very reluctant to uh, cooperate with things involving the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So I don't know.
2: And for me, I think he was on the FBI's top 10 fugitive list for Ever now, what was it, 20 years at least now? Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, he was on billboards all over down here.
2: Yeah, he was everywhere. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's one of the head scratchers for the Scottsdale police. It's going to be going on forever. It's like one of those weird unsolved mysteries. But
1: yeah, There, there were people, they had sightings in Dallas of Robert Fisher. I think
2: the biggest, most recent update to this case was that he was recently replaced. So he's no longer on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. He's actually been replaced.
1: I know. After 20 years they booted him off. That's just sad. Yeah, <laughs> what you a uh, what a Honduran drug lord. Yeah,
2: so he's been replaced by a fugitive named Yulán Aldonde Archaga Garillas. He was part of the MS-13 Honduran clan of, you know, international crime gang. So he's 39 years old and he faces several federal drug and gun charges. So MS-13 is a very big gang in Central America. Pretty scary, actually. They would go in Honduras, at least I know, in one of the cities called San Pedro Sulas. They would walk around with machetes and they would kill you if you talked back to them or looked at them weird.
1: Yes, and they're here. They're here, people. Yes. I mean,
2: we're not too far from, you know, Mexico border and they cross over to Mexico all the time.
1: Big bunches of them in South Central and For one, that huge bunch of them in Virginia. And then there's another bunch in Oklahoma and that's sort of the drug route up through Tucson, Mm -hmm. Arizona, over into Oklahoma and then to the East Coast.
2: Yeah, they're avoiding all those border checks.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. But it is
2: easy to tell if they are because they'll
1: have 13 um, tattooed on their face on their arm, in their hand. Oh, they're big on the facial tattoos. Oh, my God. Just ugly, gnarly tattoos, shaved heads. just. But, yeah, you're going to see 13. If you ever see them shirtless, a lot of them, their entire back is 13.
2: Yes. And the people that escape, like Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, And they come to the U.S. that want to leave the gang life. One of their biggest fears is they'll come in here illegally, right? Because they're trying to escape the gang life. But if they get deported, their biggest fear is that the minute they go back to their country, they're going to get killed because they've
1: renounced right they renounced but that's how they got in here was that big south american oh let's let everybody in because they were having civil war and all that and they they came right up with them so when we look at other countries and say you know hey they're trying to get in people oh that would never happen it did happen it let some scary people in but i tell you one of my favorite random theories i love this one was that um, he applied for a credit card in a hardware store in Alabama. Hmm. And he used his old address in Scottsdale. And then he got nervous because it was taking so long for the application to go through. So he left and he was driving a Chevy Silverado pickup with Texas plates. Ooh, huh? interesting. Used his old address in Scottsdale. Like we'll do that. Yeah. I'm thinking not a real fugitive. Pretty crazy.
2: Well, do you have any other crazy conspiracies I think I've
1: Giving out all of mine. Oh, they thought he used the $280 to board a bus in Payson. Huh. Some people say he's still alive and well and living in the National Forest. I don't
2: know how long you could live in the National Forest. I mean...
1: You know, I don't know. You got to
2: think about Bigfoot. I'm just <laughs> 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 Aliens?
1: UFOs seem to go there, so I don't know. This was another good one. He lives in San Diego and goes to Mexico on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this, this, and then this was my other one, too, that he fell in love with his massage woman. Interesting. And then on the conspiracy theory, people thought he was kidnapped. Someone else said he was gorgeous. Maybe he became a woman. Wow. Or he's living near Reno along the Truckee River, living in their tent city with all the homeless hmm. there along the river. I mean, that that could be a possibility. Or he's at the Playboy Mansion. I mean, there's so many theories and speculations now. I mean,
2: time has really gone by, I guess. If it gets solved in this like next 10 years, that would be great. But I I, honestly, if he really left the country, it's going to be very hard to find him now.
1: Oh, yeah, I think it's be very hard to find him even here. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
2: Well, we'll let um, if you guys loved our little uh, conspiracy kind of part two on this case was kind of fun and exciting to talk about. But if you guys happen to see him or know any information regarding Robert Fisher, we do suggest that you contact the Scottsdale Police Department or the Phoenix FBI office. And I'll go ahead and put that number for the Scottsdale Police Department is 480-312-2716 and the Phoenix FBI office at 602-279-5511. If you have any tips or speculation, you could be the winner of a hundred thousand dollars
1: that's true they took him off the list but i don't think they removed the reward and uh, as crazy as those theories are they actually were turned in by real people on the unsolved mystery website never know
2: but before we head on out guys we want to make sure we leave you guys with the question of the week and that question cat if you want to read it that would be great
1: okay so this week's question is what do you call a male black widow Ooh. I like that. Male black widow.
2: Well, we list, we at, we give our listeners a big thank you and a shout out. And if you guys wanna. Follow us on our social media. We have a Facebook page, our our community group, our check out our website and
1: make sure to share our podcast with all your friends and family on all different platforms. So yes, we totally appreciate everyone who's listening. We have people in Canada and the Netherlands, you know, Oregon, Illinois, Columbus, Ohio. Hopefully Jonathan in Australia is still listening to us. Yes. Give a
2: shout out to him. Shout out to you. Yes. We're excited. Our next week episode is going to be about Angela
1: Simpson.
2: She's another local, another local loca. (laughs) 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 But, uh, well, until then, we thank you guys. Please be kind, be safe, enjoy the holidays, and we hope to catch you guys again next week. Yeah,
1: so happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and we'll make sure that we catch you next week. So thanks for listening. Take care now. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.
0: Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five star review on your favorite podcasting software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime One or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623 292 5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts, Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney, for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Nymph for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Nymph for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.